watch of the NBA. Everybody who listens to this podcast knows how I feel about aggregation. I'm oddly intrigued by neck tattoos. You know, we love China. We love no playing there. It comes a dunk. Shut up and listen. You think you're better than me? Bye! All right, welcome back. This is Swish FM. Chris Wendelkin and Ben Crab. Ben, we are delighted. We are privileged. We are overjoyed to uh, once again be joined today he's he's back by popular demand illustrator artist designer digital horse racing blockchain enthusiast chris noble aka the trash bag ghost ghost uh the value of ethereum is up about tenfold since your last appearance thank you very much for that welcome back to the show uh how are you my friend thank you guys it's good to be back uh, Ethereum, the horses, all that stuff. It's uh, it's quite an interesting time to be alive. And it's good time to be a ghost. <laughs> Indeed, uh, good time to be with you guys as well. It's uh, the best time when I'm with you guys. Yeah, this is a uh, this is this is basically Christmas Day. Um, uh, you know, uh, what can we say? Uh, the 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 yeah. Swish FM um, is pretty much now a, uh, a wrestling podcast um we may have to rebrand as uh, as slam fm or something to that effect <laughs> at, at some point um yeah as uh anyone who listened to our last episode uh, may have gathered um we've become fully fully wwf pilled over here um yeah and uh yeah so we're we're just leaning into it um and um yeah we are so excited to have trash bag ghost back um ethereum may be up uh however that um has uh completely uh is, is completely outweighed by my top shot debt um which is uh crippling um and um extremely 
uh, 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 destabilizing uh, to my life and uh, my marriage. But uh, but we're not going to talk about that. That's uh, great. That's just a little um, little side note. Um, so let's not let it distract bar. us. Yeah, yeah. Ghost Ben, the last few weeks on Swish FM, we've been down the rabbit hole discussing the NBA's officiating scandal. Ghost, I don't know if, if you missed this, but back in 2007, an ex-NBA referee named Tim Donaghy resigned when it was discovered that he'd been fixing and betting on games, uh, games that he was officiating. And it's since come to light that in all likelihood, not only was there a vast culture of uh, referees gambling on the sport, the NBA not only knew about it, they actually perpetuated and participated in the manipulating of games in order to get highly desired matchups, the most marketable teams on TV in the four biggest you know, TV ratings. In essence, the sport uh, is scripted. The league, uh, the league office has a vested interest in certain teams and certain players, let's just call them entertainers, uh, playing in prime time on primetime TV. And it might you know, it might not be entirely fictional or fictionalized, but uh, thanks to, to, to the brilliance of this other podcast Ben and I have been listening to called Whistleblower, it got uh, Ben and I thinking about the similarities between basketball and professional wrestling. And maybe they're not that dissimilar, and uh, maybe professional wrestling has uh, had its own issues with the credibility of referees. So Ben, that leads us to today. I'll hand it over to you. Um, we will be discussing an event from February 5th, 1988. It is called the WWF, the main event. The floor is yours. Wow. Yeah. Um, where to begin here? So this is, yeah, as listeners may remember, we the last time we were with the Trash Bag Ghost, we went all the way down the rabbit hole of the 1991 Royal Rumble, um, which was, you know, obviously a, a huge smash success with our audience. Um, and so we, you know, we, we always knew we wanted to, uh, to dip back into that well at some point. Um, and then after, you know, going down a sort of separate rabbit hole with this NBA referee scandal uh, with the Whistleblower podcast and uh, Tim Livingston, uh, who we interviewed a couple episodes ago, um, it got us to thinking, you know, what what are some what are some famous moments in wrestling history that have involved, uh, you know, controversial, you know, referee involvement? Um, and the first event, uh, the first kind of moment that popped into my head from you know back in the uh, in the old days in the, in the golden golden age of uh, of WWF was this match, which I had actually never seen up to this point kind of predated uh, us as as wrestling fans as kids you know we came in in like you know early you know maybe 90 uh 91 around then um but back in 1988 a couple of years prior there was an event called the main event um which was it's all a little uh confusing if you're not a wrestling wwf historian but basically back in the 80s the wwf had a show called saturday saturday night's main event uh, which was on NBC, um, but aired you know late night as a uh, sort of SNL uh, rerun replacement. Um, so late night Saturday nights on NBC, um, the WWF would have this show, 
and it was fantastic. It was, you know, a, a big, um, you know, sort of network television venue for the WWF to, you know, show off all of its, uh, its, its big stars, obviously Hulk Hogan and Macho Man and, you know, uh, Ravishing Rick Rude and Jake the Snake and Million Dollar Man and all the big stars. Anyway, uh, it was such a success that in 1988, um, NBC agreed uh, to a really really kind of major uh decision which was that instead of just uh you know hiding this uh this sort of shameful like wrestling uh content on their uh you know late night you know 11:30 at night on Saturday they said you know what why don't we try something where we air this content um, not in the middle of the night um, for only, uh, you know, degenerates and, uh, and insomniacs to consume. But what if we did it Friday night, prime time television? We're talking 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern on a Friday night. Yeah, so Saturday night's main event debuted on May 11th, 1985 um, in that late night time slot. Uh, it was such, such a success, basically, that, that it, it convinced uh, NBC that they could, you know, kind of take, take this, uh, make this gamble. Um, and this is also coming off the heels of, you know, WrestleMania three uh, in March 1987, uh, which was like a huge, huge success. You know, wrestling had had really kind of gone mainstream. Um, so the main event um, uh, aired, which is you know again like a sort of a spinoff of, uh, of of Saturday Night's main event. Um, it aired live, uh, so it wasn't uh, you know pre-recorded. It, it it took place and aired live on Friday, February fifth, nineteen eighty eight at 8 p.m. Eastern Time from the Market Square Arena in Indianapolis, which, of course, Chris, you and I uh, know, know very well. Um, yeah, Market Square. Uh, shout out Jeff Scalf. Um, yeah, the race cars. Yep. John Dillinger. We all, we all yeah. know about <laughs> that's, that's the That's a deep cut. Yeah, if anyone... Uh, Scalf-Dillinger connection. Um, so to this day... Um, this this uh this this event on on uh you know um, uh, prime time network television. This is the first time that pro wrestling had been broadcast on uh, on, on a uh, you know ma- major television network in prime time since 1955. 1955. Um, uh, basically, until that this point, it had all been you know either late night or uh, or random cable networks like USA uh, or uh, uh, you know syndicated you know local uh, uh, local stations and stuff um, but this is the first time it was on national television in primetime since 1955 um, and it was billed as the long-awaited rematch between Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant from WrestleMania 3 of course the uh, the championship title match the main event of WrestleMania 3 um, which saw Hulk Hogan uh, defeat Andre the Giant um, to retain his WWF championship belt. Um, you know, probably the most famous like single match in wrestling history. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the feud between Hulk and Andre would continue through the uh, remainder of 1987 into early 1988. So this event, the main event, um, Friday night, NBC, was the rematch of Hulk and Andre, um, which had been building for almost a year because, reminder, WrestleMania three was in March of 1987. So now it is February 88. Um, so they had been, like, slow slow burning this one. Um, and the buildup was so massive and the expectations and everything was, like, so so well done and, and, and um, kind of, you know, plotted out by the WWF that this event drew 33 million viewers and a 15.2 Nielsen rating, both of which are records for pro wrestling that will basically never be, be touched. Um, 
so 15.2 Nielsen rating, like the Super Bowl, the Super Bowl is like a, like around a 40 usually, something like that. Maybe, maybe a little higher, maybe a little lower, depending on the year. But we're talking about like a third of the people that watch the Super Bowl, the Super Bowl, which everyone in America watches, whether you, you know, like football or not, everyone watches the Super Bowl, right? So this fucking WWF wrestling show drew about a third of the number of people that watched the Super Bowl. Um, again, just Insane. something that like will never happen ever again. Um, it's yeah, it's it's absolutely historic. Ben, I, have, I have a question for you. Um, yeah. Do you know? So obviously, like it did these astounding, you know, TV ratings in terms of viewership. If the program was so highly successful, do you know why they only made five episodes? Um, that's a good question. Um, I mean, you know, they they definitely wanted to... I mean, I think they sort of viewed it almost as like a pay-per-view type thing where they couldn't do it. Yeah. You know, they, they couldn't dilute the product. Um, right. You know, of course... So it had to be these like marquee special matchups where it was like Hogan Andre... That's like a marquee thing. We can sell out an arena. Right, right. Okay. Okay, um, that makes sense. Yeah, I guess. Um, and they still had Saturday night's main event on, you know, late night sure. Saturday at the same time. Like that, it wasn't a replacement. It was like yeah. an, an addition to. Um, so that okay. program continued and they would do, you know, a handful of those a year. Um, and they would continue to do those throughout the late 80s, early 90s. Um, basically up until like when Monday Night Raw began, I guess, in like 93. Um Something like that. Um, and yeah, so I forget exactly how many uh, they did. I think five, you said, of, of the main event. Um, yeah, so from 1988 to 1991, there were only five episodes that they ever made of the main event, which was the Friday night, uh, which was the fi- Friday night program that was aired on NBC. Uh, and they aired live on NBC. Yeah. Uh, I, be- I believe three of the episodes uh, aired live, and then two were pre-recorded. Mm, um, and gotcha. they aired them at a later time. But yeah. Yeah, I think it was just, like, such a big production. Like, that's the thing. It's, like, because it was live, because it was, like, NBC and Prime, it was such a, like, massive thing, like a lift, basically, to, to pull off. Yeah. Um, and, again, it was also still an era when, like, the WWF was making most of its money in house shows. So these events were you know, basically just like sort of teasers to get people into arenas and seats, you know, where they made the, the bulk of their, their, uh, their money and, and ticket sales and stuff. So, yeah. Um, I don't know. Again, just like a different era. Like, you know, now, yeah. like nowadays WWE has like fucking like 16 hours of content a week of like, you know, with their like various like three hour shows, it's like, you know, ridiculous. But, um, but yeah, back, back in the day, it was a, a much more rare and special treat to see, um, to see these superstars, you know, on your TV. All right. So with that backstory, why don't we hop into the actual main event? Yeah. Let's so do it. the date is February 5th, 1988. Um, guys, before the match, we have our commentators introduced. We have Vince McMahon with Jesse, the body Ventura. They do a very nice job of refreshing our memories We're here tonight for the highly anticipated rematch of the much-disputed March 1987 bout between Andre the Giant and Hulk Hogan, which took place at WrestleMania III at the Pontiac Silverdome. 
In just a moment, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to have the greatest rematch, perhaps in World Wrestling Federation history, Andre the Giant against Hulk Hogan. But you are keenly aware, Jesse Ventura, of what happened before the largest indoor crowd in the history of any event, 93,000 plus, for a curse on hand in Pontiac, Michigan, Hulk versus Andre. That's right, it was Hulk versus Andre, very disputed. I included oh, no, feel disputed. that Andre the Giant won the match. Hogan, it's set up there. We're set to go. The biggest match in history. Right, here's a take a look at the Ghost, give me some initial thoughts and impressions here when you see Vince McMahon and Jesse the Body Ventura on your screen. Well, you know, it's these two. It's one of my favorite, uh, favorite combos because Vince is just the straight guy and Jesse uh, is just the devil's advocate and always he's just mr he's a rule meister when it when it suits his his way when it suits his way to be a little thorn in the side so i this is for my money one of the best uh you know commentating combos of all time i really love it so we have vince in a tuxedo ghost and can we talk about the body his getup is is that a bandana on, that he's wearing on his head? Ben, do, can you get a clear read on that? Because it is a sort of like tannish, almost flesh-colored, uh, it looks like some sort of wrap or bandana across his head, right? Yeah, it's definitely a, a skin-tight bandana. Um, and it's and is funny, he wearing so... A leather, is he wearing a leather jacket? Can someone please get a, a, a clear read on that for me? I don't or think is it's that just leather. A, a slight, no, it's just a slightly bulkier jacket. I think it's like a sheen, like, what is uh, the, that material? It's almost, um, yeah. it's not velvet, but it's very... It's, it's not a bathrobe. It's not quite a bathrobe, but it's something very comfortable. Yeah, and it looks almost like smockish. It's like very, like, like big and, and, and kind of like bulky, um, but... Yeah, it's hard to, to describe exactly. You can't really see like where the buttons, where the collar like begins and ends. Um, I should also note. So at this at this event, now we watched this match. Um, I don't want to get too much on, uh, on a rant about um, WWE Network migrating all of its content to uh, Peacock. Um, but basically, this event is not available. Um, even if you are a uh, a paying customer of Peacock, you can. Uh, you know, reminder: this aired originally on NBC. Um, you know, which is uh, Peacock is is a sort of subsidiary of, um, or it's like their whatever streaming uh, service. Um, you can't find this on the Peacock app, um, even though it used to be available on the WWE Network as of a few months ago. Um, but so we had to uh, scrounge this up on a random Daily Motion uh, <laughs> video that we found. Um, but it wasn't the full event. It was only the Hogan-Andre portion of the event. But I did find another clip um, of the beginning and first half of the event, which had a, a match between Randy Savage and uh, the Honky Tonk Man. Um, but at the start of the show, you can see Jesse um, still in, in the same outfit, but he had a different headpiece on. I don't know if you guys... Uh, yeah, some sort tried. of like leopard print thing.
yeah, it was a um, it was a very confusing like leopard uh, like fur like kind of um, like almost like a headdress type piece, but it had like a black pointy like like top to it. Um, yeah. Really weird. I have a feeling at some point someone was just like, "You have to take that off," or I guess he couldn't have his headset on with it at the same time. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was only okay. for the beginning of the event. Um, anyway, yeah, at this point he's, he's actually like pretty kind of toned down looking. There's no tie dye. There's no, uh, you know, crazy flamboyant, <laughs> um, uh, you know, get up that, that he, uh, often sported. But, um, but yeah, he's looking, uh, you know, a little, a little subdued, but certainly in, in rare form, you know, on the mic tonight. Um, and yeah, as ghost noted, the, the, uh, the compliment of of Jesse and Vince, like Vince, you know, the the sort of straight man, goody goody, and and Jesse, the you know the wild card bad boy, always always saying the controversial thing, you know, I, you know, clearly playing the heel uh, uh, character, the devil's advocate. Um, but yeah, it's just so uh, interesting. I never I never think of them in like heel or like straight man terms because like for me the body. I always thought of the body as very much like a truth teller. You know what I mean? Like yeah. he was always the one sort of like, he was basically a whistleblower, right? Like he was the one <laughs> like, like speaking truth to power. And ironically, the power was sitting right next to him. Vince, he's sitting next to Vince McMahon, the guy that like runs the whole WWF. Very odd dynamic in that way. And that the, I don't know, what, what, what would you call Vince McMahon? Not the commissioner of the WWF, but like the owner and operator, the CEO of the WWF is sitting right next to you commentating on the match. Uh, a very strange sort of uh, dynamic. It's, it's a very, very weird setup, right? Because back then, you know, Vince was, was the, the play-by-play man, but he wasn't, uh, you know, obviously in real life, he was the owner and CEO of the company, but he wasn't on screen. You know, that wasn't his character just yet. Um, it wasn't until much later that he kind of embraced uh, the the on-screen persona of, you know, the evil owner. So at this point, right. he's just the commentator. Um, but it is so weird. I mean, imagine Adam Silver calling an NBA game or right. Bud Selig calling a baseball game. You'd yeah. Like, this is strange. Like, how could you possibly be objective about... <laughs> the match here you know like how could you possibly right you know? right yeah and to have jesse there right like who's definitely a wild card like sitting next to his boss like who's like you know his his right. on-air partner but also like like judging his performance and like if he's like right screwing up like the kind of pressure that he must have felt um but despite that like jesse does i mean we've talked about this offline chris but like so this whole event, this whole feud, really, the angle between Andre and Hogan um, was very much fueled by Jesse the Body Ventura and his, as you said, truth-telling, uh, often uncomfortable truth-telling. Um, he was uh, basically the one... So this whole, like, angle is, is that, that is, um, you know, that, that culminates uh, at, at the main event here with the rematch. It all started um, at WrestleMania three. Uh, which Hogan won, but early on in the match, there's a moment when Hogan tries to uh, lift Andre off his feet. He fails. Andre falls on top of him. Uh, and there's a very controversial, uh, non not quite three count, where the referee, Joey Morella, who will uh, be a very, you know, sort of prominent name, um, the referee, you know, basically slaps three, but Hogan kind of lifts his shoulder like on the third slap. So the referee, you know, waves it off and says, no, 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 it was only a two count. Um, but uh, this is, again, at WrestleMania three. So um, when that happens, Jesse immediately, you know, sort of jumps on it and says, 
Andre should have won the match. That was a three count. Ref slap three. Andre should be champion. Um, and now, you know, it's unclear whether that was, you know, scripted beforehand or if it was just something that happened in the match that, that Jesse just kind of freestyled on. You think there's a three count coming up here, Jesse, but let me tell you, I don't believe it was there. All right, Andre, one, Andre, two, two three. Joey Morella's arm went up and down three times. Yes, it did, only for the third time to simply brace himself, Jesse. There was no three count there, not in anyone's wildest imagination, I don't believe. Well, you tell Andre the giant that, that it wasn't a three count. And, you know, as, as the heel, obviously he's always sort of supporting the, the heel wrestler. So he's saying, oh, you know, Andre got robbed, blah, blah, blah. Um, he should be champion. Um, and Jesse was the one that really was pushing that angle. Um, and so basically, like, that was the fuel for this this uh, feud that continued after the match. You know, even though Hogan won, it was always like, did he really win? There's this cloud of, of controversy, you know, over it. Yeah. Um, which Jesse would, you know, repeatedly, like, go back to again and again every time, there, you know, there was a subsequent event with Hogan. Jesse would bring up the fact that, you know, Joey Morello was this referee that, you know, may have uh, screwed Andre out of the belt, like blah, blah, blah. And um, yeah, it was like really the thing that, that kind of kept uh, the, the interest going and the, uh, the, the, the sort of like wonder and controversy about, oh, what's going to happen? Like, did Hogan really win? There has to be a rematch now. And here we are. This is Dude, the rematch. I mean, I know we, we always kind of find ourselves on this name when we're talking about the WWF, but there are shades of like Donald Trump here with the recount and like saying that the election was illegitimate and mm-hmm. like he didn't win all the states and like it wasn't a valid victory. There, and then the way that the body sort of like signal boosts these like conspiracy theories. Yeah. There is this blueprint for you know, vis-a-vis the WWF were like what just played out in real life with yeah. these high stakes things like the election. But that's a sidebar. Um, no, I think that's there. very much, I mean, this is like basically conspiracy theory thinking. Yeah. You know, and like, it's how it's like how it's performed and like comes to life, which is like, well, you know, who's to say, you know, it's, yeah. you know, it's weird, Chris, you know, I, for, from my research and just from my awareness, I was only aware of one time on WWF broadcast that the phrase God bless Donald Trump was uttered. But after viewing this match, I've realized that it is at least twice on main event uh, broadcast that that phrase has been uttered. The other, of course, I believe being at the upcoming WrestleMania four where yeah. the Hulkster in his uh, infamous promotion that gets into this wild tangent about like the the Trump Tower falling into the sea and him saving uh, <laughs> Donald Trump's entire family and imploring them to cling to his wide back and just mm-hmm. dog paddle them to safety. As my next two opponents fall to the ocean floor and I pin them, so will Donald Trump and all the Hulkamaniacs. But as Donald Trump hangs onto the top of the Trump Plaza with his family under his other arm, as they sink to the bottom of the sea, thank God Donald Trump's a Hulkamaniac. He'll know enough to let go of his materialistic possessions, hang on to the wife and kids, dog paddle with his life all the way to safety. But Donald, if something happens, you run out of gas, and all those little Hulkamaniacs run out of gas, just hang on to the largest back in the world, and I'll dog paddle us, backstroke all of us to safety. Oh, I thank you. He utters, God, of course, this Donald Trump. 
but he the does Swish it again FM here. listeners. Yeah, Swish FM listeners are, of course, familiar with that clip because I believe it was an intro for one of our yes. uh, Royal Rumble episodes. Indeed, indeed. But yeah, no, I mean, um, yeah, obviously there's like a long lineage and history between the WWF and Trump. But I think like um, if we zoom out a bit, Ben, to like it does seem the WWF and Vince had a real infatuation with like wealth. Mm. and just like oh, yeah. opulence and power and and we can uh we'll we'll dive into that theme i think a lot today like money oh yeah <laughs> um, for, for the, sure the fat the fascination with like wealth and money mm-hmm. um as like a as a wwf narrative but like it wasn't just donald trump that the wwf would call out i mean he was one of the prominent people that they would call out a lot but like wasn't it warren buffett doesn't doesn't uh hogan talk about warren buffett a couple times and like there are a few prominent, like, very wealthy people that he calls out by name where it's like... Yeah, the other strange. one is uh, like, is is uh, Howard Hughes, I believe. Howard Hughes. Howard <laughs> Hughes. That, that, that's what it was, not Warren. Yeah, Bob, there's a promo that, that Hogan delivers uh, just, just a, a little bit prior to the main event. This fall, this million-dollar man goes buying you out. Everybody knows when you deal in short-term investments... Sometimes you get burnt. Look at Howard Hughes. Look at Donald Trump. They spread their wealth out, man. Stocks, bonds, real estate, millions of dollars to charity. Ted DiBiase, you've taken all your assets, all your financial wealth, and put it right on Andre the Giant's back. That could be your first and last mistake. As far as the holster goes, brother, I take all my assets, everything I've got going for me, spread it all around the world all on all my little teeny holsters and I'm not the king of my own empire I answer to that big big teller up in the sky the long range investment and for that one reason if it's the only one I have the bottom just might fall out for you Ted DiBiase and Andre the Giant and it, it's a product of the time too right like we should we should say that like the WWF is a product of its time and place. And like during the eighties at this moment in time during like Reagan economics and all that stuff, like there was this like fascination with opulence and wealth and becoming wealthy and successful. Right. Yeah. A lot of these, these promos leading up to this event, and we're going to have to talk about the million dollar man very shortly uh, because he's obviously a a major figure in this uh, whole storyline. But, um, but yeah, one of the promos leading up to that, like a lot of a lot of the stuff, like it's and it was all script. A lot of it was scripted by NBC, um, you know. So a lot of the stuff, you know, whereas a lot of like random shows and stuff, these wrestlers are just coming up with stuff, you know, off the top of the head or whatever. Um, but because this was this was a you know such an, a, a scripted like NBC thing, they they wrote out a lot of the stuff and planned out a lot of the stuff, and they really leaned in, leaned into like these like um, you know finance puns and stuff and. Yeah. A lot, a lot of the stuff talks about like investing and and like investing. you know investing like, is a like huge bank accounts and stuff, yeah. and and yeah. So there's a promo that I found um, that happened that Hulk delivered a, a little bit of like a few days or maybe weeks before the main event, uh, this rematch with Andre, where he says, um, uh, as far as a million dollar man goes. Everybody knows when you deal in short-term investments, sometimes you get burnt. Look at Howard Hughes. Look at Donald Trump. 
those are the two figures that he <laughs> cites as financial yeah. role models. They spread their wealth out, man. Stocks, bonds, real estate, millions of dollars in charity. Reminder, this is something that Hulk Hogan is screaming into a microphone shirtless, uh, you know, completely sweat, like covered sweat drenched. Covered in baby boil. Yeah. Baby oil. Um, yeah. Ted DiBiase, you've taken all your assets, all your financial wealth, and put it right on Andre the Giant's back. That could be your first and last mistake. Um yeah, I mean, so should we get into how DiBiase? Yeah, let let let's let's take it all chronologically in uh, throughout the course of the video. There's going to be time to discuss it all. But I one quick point I wanted to. Well, we were talking about the controversy with WrestleMania three. Yeah. So Ben, you did a, you you uh, nicely described. So Hogan lifts Andre the Giant to and body slams him. Uh, he lifts him and tries to to body slam him, and he succumbs to the Giants. 520 uh, pound body weight. Uh, Andre falls on top of Hogan for for the pin. The referee very clearly beats it out, counts it out on the mat. One, two, three. There are three very clear, you know, taps on the mat. It should have ended the match, in my opinion. And I don't know if you guys noticed this, but there is a sort of wry smile on the corner of Andre's face. He holds up three fingers to the referee. Ben, did you notice this? I didn't notice the smile, no. I uh, I would love for you to just play it back and watch it. And it did make me wonder whether, you know, Andre was trying to pull a fast one. I think he was kind of like, mm. I almost got you there. Like, I, I almost got this. I almost got this past you guys. I almost like fucked up this whole event for you. But wow, uh, interesting. Yeah, it did. It, it did remind me of like, you know, we were talking the other week about um, improvising. You know, the performers improvising during the Forget Buddies uh, sketch. John Glazer and A. Sean Benjamin. How sometimes they were just trying to like fuck with each other, like the game within the game. Mm-hmm. And it, it would for me that was a little bit of what was happening here with Andre. But, anyways, back to the uh, to to the main event here. So, we review the footage at the Pontiac Silverdome. And then next we have uh, footage of Andre sneak attacking Hulk Hogan. That's right. In the ring at the Capitol Center in January of 1988. So Andre comes into the ring and chokes out Hogan from behind. Andre the Giant starting off the new year right. He was so frustrated. That's the only explanation I can have for this action. Look at this. Andre's hands. Look at the size of him. The champion of the world getting choked down. Look at Andre the Giant's face. There's a man with determination. There's a man who is not going to be cheated two times, in my opinion. This was on an episode of Saturday Night's main event, um, the 14th uh, episode of Saturday Night's main event. Um, which aired, as you said, yeah, January 2nd, 1988, from the Capitol Center in, in Landover, Maryland. And it's a match uh, not between Hogan and Andre, um, but between Hogan and uh, King Kong Bundy. But um, Bundy, who is a, you know, a, a, a Bobby Heenan wrestler, you know, part of the Heenan family, um, he had Andre in his corner that night um, uh, as a replacement for Heenan because actually at the previous saturday night's main event number 13 in uh in um uh november of 87 um we should also note real quick there was so basically in the build-up to this feud we have you know wrestlemania 3 controversial ending jesse ventura you know claims andre was robbed um basically for the remainder of 87 like hulk and andre i i think they did some shit like house shows where they where they like you know met but there was nothing on tv there was nothing um 
you know, sort of uh, uh, in the in the sort of like, you know, uh, recognized storyline where they were meeting. Um, so it was all this like kind of out of the ring build up um, this like simmering feud. Um, and then the first time that they actually stepped foot in the same ring again on television was at Survivor Series, the very first Survivor Series in uh, uh, Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving night, 1987, which was, you know, the WWF's like second big pay-per-view event after WrestleMania. Um, but it wasn't a one-on-one match. It was, you know, Andre's team of heels versus uh, Hogan's team of baby faces, um, which I don't know if you guys have ever gone back and watched that one. It's kind of a weird event. They like Hogan and Andre actually do meet at one point and like wrestle for like a minute or two. Um, but then there's like, uh, you know, interference from outside of the ring. Hogan gets dragged out by Bundy and one man gang, um, and then gets counted out. So he's eliminated. So it's sort of a, uh, a very anticlimactic ending. Andre, um, ends up being the sole survivor after pinning Bam Bam Bigelow, who was actually a member of Hogan's team. Anyway, so that kind of happens, uh, which, you know, clearly like doesn't really offer any satisfaction or, 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 you know, conclusion to the feud, um, uh, very uh, sort of shrewdly to to keep the build up going for the yeah. uh, the big one on one rematch. So then, yeah, so it's Saturday night's main event, uh, fourteen January second, eighty eight. Hogan's defending his his belt against Bundy. Uh, he he beats Bundy, but then Andre comes in and sneaks sneak attacks him while Hogan is you know posing now, in, in victory. Now, Ghost, I I I'll want to discuss this across a few of the different highlight clips. Um, but can we begin here, Ghost, by discussing Andre's wardrobe, <laughs> which I'm absolutely crazy about here. Of course, we have Hogan in his uh, French yellow mustard wrestling trunks, and Andre the Giant is wearing a suit, uh, specifically a gray checkered blazer with some nice dark slacks, a wide-collar shirt. It's open at the neck. There's no tie. I love this look, Ghost. It's something your Italian uncle or grandfather would wear, maybe to your first Holy Communion or baptism, maybe. Um, I am wild about this look here for Andre the Giant choking out Hulk Hogan at the Capitol Center January 1988. What do you think? Absolutely. You know, I'm no Andre the Giant, but I can relate to this in a certain level. Like, the guy's fashion choices were radically limited. Yeah, he had access to the best (laughs) tailors in the world. But I'm telling you, even as a guy with a 17-and-a-half-inch neck, that's going to cut your uh, sectorial choices right down the middle. You just you can't be as fashionable as the smaller guys. So for him to be able to pull this off is absolutely uh it's it's one of his best looks he looks good it's not ill-fitting it's like they i was you know halfway through this uh choke out i just started you know looking at wow it's amazing cut they got there i mean the arms and everything it's really well done yeah it's really he looks very comfortable very much uh looks yes. breathable he's flexible um he, i i love Honestly, it Honestly, then Chris, we have yes that's yeah. what i was thinking about like just this man like went through life having to go in like sweatpants and just these uncomfortable like things that made him look like he was just in pain. But this, this was his best. This was just, he was, he was moving and grooving and he was looking good while doing it. He looked great. I mean, he looks like, yeah, he looks like a professional hitman, right? Like he looks yeah, like straight out of, of like, up, but like I, 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 uh, uh, you know, obviously uh serial killers, uh, 
came to mind when I watched this. Like, he could have been. Listen, uh, who was he? The, that guy who was like six foot seven, and he was he was had like a hundred and fifty IQ. Um, Edmund Kemper. Wow. <laughs> wow. For the record, Chris was not uh, ghost. Ghost was not like lo- like looking up a- an encyclopedia or anything. Like he was just no. thinking out loud and and came and pull- pulled that name out of thin air. Very impressive. And he's still alive, rotting in prison as he should be. But how scary is it if Andre is the giant decided to kill? He could have done whatever he pleased because i just see these hands around the, <laughs> the neck of the hulkster who's a force of nature he could have just swatted him like a fly yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i mean andre's the sight of, of andre's hands you know wrapped around uh hogan's neck like a little like lollipop um are is is you know just absolutely mesmerizing um yeah and then we have footage here of the of the contract signing between Hogan and the Giant. This is shortly after the sneak attack incident, January '88, right. at the Cops Coliseum in Ontario. This is at the the very first Royal Rumble. The, right. The contract Again, signing. I love that ghost. The the Giant wears a suit to this event. Uh, Hogan's got the matching white cowboy boots, the patent leather belt, the acid wash jeans, and white t-shirt with the sleeves cut off. Nice look for him. He's got the cross around the neck. And then here, Trash Bag Ghost, we have Andre the Giant in a sensible pair of khakis and and what seems like maybe a tweed blazer. Um, he's got the dark black shoes, the orthopedics. Uh, I, I, I just, I love this man. He's in his elements. And uh, Ben, let's talk a little bit about this uh, contract signing here. It gets violent very quickly. It does indeed. Yeah. So um, we should we should probably back up a little bit to discuss you know the backstory of how this this uh, this contract signing took place and why there were um, two other men in the ring at this contract signing, not uh, Andre the Giant's uh, manager for WrestleMania three, Bobby the Brain Heenan, but instead two other uh, fellows. One by the name of Ted DiBiase, and of course his bodyguard Virgil. Um, oh so, why uh, why is uh, is Million Dollar Man um, you know present for this contract signing? You might wonder um, for the uh, you know for the big rematch at the main event. Um, so Ted DiBiase, Million Dollar Man, had entered the WWF uh, in I think around May of 1987. And pretty much right off the bat, um, he was trying to uh, use his money um, to, uh, you know, to, to, to get where he wanted to go in the WWF. Um, he wanted to become WWF champion, as all wrestlers do, of course. Um, but because he was unable to do it, you know, <laughs> fair and square in the uh, in the ring, his um, his his goal, his mission was to purchase the WWF championship yeah. heavyweight championship belt. Um, he wanted to it, buy his way to the top. Yeah. Um, so uh, everybody has a price, um, you know, as, as we all know. And, uh, and, and Million Dollar Man was, uh, was, was just trying to figure out what Hogan's price was for the belt. He offered, he made an offer to Hogan to uh, just simply purchase the, the uh, heavyweight belt, which, of course, Hogan had been holding um, uh, since uh, January of 1984 is when he became WWF champion. Um, so, um, you know, as you might expect, uh, Hogan declined, uh, DiBiase's offer. Um, and, uh, they, this was, uh, you know, sort of late 87. I, I read, I found somewhere in my research that it was, um, 
let's see, hang on. Uh, this probably doesn't really matter enough to look up. But yeah, it was like uh, December, uh, November or December of 1987 when DiBiase made the, f- the formal offer. Um, Hogan declined emphatically, uh, screaming, hell no, um, uh, in response to, uh, to DiBiase's offer. Uh, the two men, you know, wrestled a couple times in late 87, um, you know, DiBiase always, uh, failing to, to, to win in the ring. So then his, uh, next plan, his next, um, you know, sort of financial, uh, uh, Gambit was to um, instead pay Andre the Giant to defeat Hulk Hogan for him and deliver him the belt. Um, so at that point, DiBiase made uh, an offer to Bobby the Brain Heenan, who was then Andre's manager, and basically purchased Andre from Heenan for a sum of $1 million. And uh, at that point, um, you know, DiBiase had full control over Andre to uh, to do his bidding for him. Um, so he was the one, you know, sort of the, the Svengali kind of, you know, pulling the strings and, and, uh, organizing this, um, this contract signing, uh, which took place at the 1988 Royal Rumble, uh, in, uh, on January 24th, I believe it was. Really, and here, of course, is the signing of maybe we can pick up some comments from Ted DiBiase, the million dollar man. How does he sign the contract, Andre? Put your official stamp of approval on it. Oh, staff of approval. The Hulkster knew something was coming up. Look at the size of these two guys. Huge. Unbelievable. And here comes the staff of approval, all right. And the Hulkster runs for Ted DiBiase. You saw what happened. I mean, this this contract signing, again, which I went went back and watched the entirety of on, uh, on the Peacock Network since they actually did have the Royal Rumble uh, 88, it's a very long and drawn out uh, signing. If you watch the entire thing, the two there's a little table set up in the ring with two chairs. You know, Hogan comes in, Andre comes in, accompanied by DiBiase and Virgil. They you know draw back and forth a little bit, but it's really like it's just DiBiase basically doing all the talking. He carries the entire thing, and we're talking like it's like a solid like twenty or thirty minute uh, like uh, ordeal. Um, Anyway, it finally culminates, uh, you know, President Jack Tunney is there present, um, you know, with the contracts. Hogan signs, you know, Andre draws it out, milks it a little bit. He finally signs. And then DiBiase is just, uh, you know, he's just baiting um, uh, Hogan. He uh, tells Andre to put his stamp of approval on the contract. Um, Andre stands up. Hogan stands up in response, you know, very agitated. Um, I feel like another thing we should point out is how in all these... there were uh, there are other uh, uh, contract signings. Actually, they did a similar one before WrestleMania three, um, and every time they the the two two of these people meet uh, Andre and Hogan. That is like Hogan is always so like perturbed and like on edge and like and just like agitated. And Andre yeah. could not be cooler, calmer. Like he is always just like absolutely unflinching, practically unblinking. Just the sitting there. Level is very different between. Both yeah, guys. and Hogan is is just vibrating. His face is jiggling. It you know at every like slightest little like gesture or remark from Andre, um, and Andre is just it's sitting un- there, like honestly, practically like asleep. Warrior vibes. Yeah, almost. You know, there there is like a quality of just being like over caffeinated mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. with with Hogan. Where and uh, and Andre, you know, who is five hundred pounds. Uh, how, how tall exactly was he? You know, build it, build it seven foot five, you know, five twenty five, five thirty. 
Yeah, yeah, seven foot five, five hundred pounds. He's doesn't care. Like yeah. he, he, you know, he's he's just calm, cool, collected. Yeah, this is nothing to him. Um. So anyway, yeah, the uh, the contract signing culminates when um, Hogan actually lunges for DiBiase, um, and uh, DiBiase kind of ducks out of the way. Andre grabs Hogan, slams his head against this uh, thick wooden table, and then flips the table over on top of Hogan, and just calmly walks out of the ring. Uh, leaving Hogan in his wake. Um, so, yeah, the, the tension, the buildup, um, you know, could not have been more, uh, you know, just uh, heightened. And, you know, the, the stakes were, you know, incredibly high. Um, and, you know, finally, again, after almost a year, um, which is crazy for an entire, you know, uh, a, a feud to, to just be simmering for a full year um, without any real, you know, resolution. Um but finally, they uh, they get to February 5th, NBC, primetime, Friday night. All right, so we cut to Mean Gene Okerlund in the back locker room area. He's holding the microphone alongside, alongside Andre the Giant and his team, Ben, which includes, as you mentioned, Ted DiBiase, the Million Dollar Man, and Virgil, Ted's bodyguard servant whatever you want to call this individual Mm -hmm. uh ted promises (laughs) that virgil will keep an eye on the referees this time around as the giant and hogan square off well gentlemen tonight you have the chance at the world wrestling federation's heavyweight championship your comment chance andre already is champion he beat hogan at wrestlemania three until the referee (laughs) obviously a hunk of moron cheated on the three count but this time, Virgil will keep an eye on the referee, and Hogan won't squirm loose. That coward has run from Andre for a year. Tonight, he meets the giant, and the rest is history. All right, um, something it. I love about this spot, Ghost, is the language that uh, DiBiase uses here. He really leans into the class warfare between his <laughs> million-dollar team and Hogan's sort of working-class demographic. All right, uh, Ted DiBiase, obviously you are very confident, and obviously the Giant is ready. Of course he's ready. He's had the finest training at the finest facilities that money can buy. Everyone knows that money makes the man, and it takes big money to match up to a big man like this. That's why Andre's with me, the million-dollar man. And that's why Hulk Hogan is always with those nickel-and-dime Hulkamaniacs. Hulk Hogan is small change compared to Andre the Giant. Your account is overdrawn, Hogan, and Andre's going to close it. Ted refers to Hogan's nickel-and-dime Hulkamaniacs. Ugh. He goes right after the fan Class base. trash. He's not, yeah, not afraid. He calls Hogan small change. He says his... <laughs> I love the line. He says his account is overdrawn. <laughs> wow. I love the banking language here, Ghost. Dude, yeah. Um, yeah, Chris. Yeah. The, uh, the financial and financial instrument analogies just keep coming at a rapid clip <laughs> through this promo. And yeah, he, as you said, he says that Andre will be the banker that uh, takes care of Hogan's overdrawn account and... Uh, just decides to close the account, mm-hmm. so it's um, goodness. It just it keeps coming. It's it's pretty crazy. It's shameless. He yeah, just really... goes right after his banking practices. He, I mean, he's <laughs> yeah. absolutely takes him to task on his banking, um, and I mean that it gets very personal very quickly. 
Uh, then we have uh, Andre chime, chime in. He says, Once I can get my hands on you, I'll never stop. Never! <laughs> I'm going to squeeze and twist and squeeze again and squeeze and I'll never stop it. Let's get out of here! Let's go! <laughs> Once I get my hands on you, I'll never stop. Never. And... I mean, wow, Ghost, just wow. The eyes, the yeah. eyes, bulging. The bulging eyes from the head of Andre the Giant. Uh, I imagine, Ghost, Andre was a wrestler that you were especially fond of, given your penchant for sort of larger-than-life beasts of the wild. It's, it's, it's an absolutely great point, Chris. So he, it's complicated, my, uh, my thoughts on him. Like, so the sheer enormity of him was the... Um, you know, I like that aspect, but for me, he was like, he was too normal in his dress. As a matter of fact, Mm. I needed him to step it up a little bit. He was too natural for me. Everything from the dress to the hair. I was just like, you know, get a Mohawk, uh, put on some, uh, zany like outfit or something. It was a little bit too, he was a little bit too vanilla for me to get crazily excited, but obviously you know, I just, he was a force of nature. So I, I, I did appreciate him on that level. I just, I just didn't understand him quite well when, you know, when I was wa- watching him as a kid, it was just, it was, it was kind of hard to comprehend. Like, why does he talk like that? Why is he so uh, yep. strange? You know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, there was I something think we should really... also just talk about that too. Like, like he was hard to understand, right, Ben? Like, like it was just hard to understand. There was a language barrier. He was born in France. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the vocal and... cords were the size of a uh, Pringles tube, so it's just, you don't even <laughs> understand what the hell is going. Forget French. It's like this weird yeah. sound. I, I was just really... this weird kind of garbled sound. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was. He was a very weird and like just bewildering combination of otherworldly in his size and sound but yet also like you said ghost very normal like he was just like a really large guy who was just like happened to be a wrestler but dressed in regular clothes had a regular haircut his name was andre like he wasn't there was nothing like there's no particularly like he wasn't like a wrestler he was just like a large dude who happened to like wrestle for a living there was no there was no gimmick there was no shtick it was just you know million dollar man was pretending to be a millionaire right Right. hulk hogan was pretending he was performing the essence of a hot dog andre the giant (laughs) andre the giant was just a seven foot five five hundred pound beast of a man you know what i mean that wore that wore a unitard and wrestled um but there was no performance of i'm trying to scare you and if anything we sort of picked up on those vibes that he was actually remarkably calm and cool because he had nothing to prove he's like no i'm really this big right you You know i'm not pretending to i'm not pretending to be a millionaire i'm not pretending to be some sort of thing that i'm not you look at the logos that come up on screen for uh, for the Hulkster, it's Hulkamania and all that that embodies. But for Andre the Giant, his logo was simply his handprint. So mm-hmm. it, that really kind of sums it up. It's like it is just him, the natural human being, kind of unnatural, but natural for him. And there's just there's no like whole circus around him. Uh, it's just the, the big he's like a big ape. 
Yeah. I mean, I can kind of see what they were doing where they were just like, we don't need to do anything more. Like, um, it's also worth noting, like, he didn't, he walked out to no entrance music. He had no theme. Um, it, it, like, they were basically just like, we have this man. He's an actual giant, so we don't need to dress him up. We don't need to do anything more or make him more scary. Like, it's scary just to look at him and hear the sound of his voice. Like, that's all we need. Um, so, in that sense, I kind of like, sort of like what they were doing with the, the minimalism. Um, but yeah, it didn't really, I don't know. It, it, one, one thing that came to my head, Ghost, I don't know if this resonated with you, was that his, his unitard, so it's an all black unitard and he had just one, uh, strap that went across diagonally over one shoulder. I think most of the unitards had kind of two straps that would go over each shoulder. It did sort of evoke almost like a caveman kind of barbarian like sort of prehistoric thing mm. yeah um i don't know if that's on point and i certainly hope that's not offensive or anything I, I certainly don't mean it to be offensive but it did sort of evoke almost like a primal caveman like you put a club in this man's hand and he could have been on the flintstones or something just yeah, this kind no, of like absolutely chris i think it's an apt uh I, it's probably intentional that we're meant to associate it with that you think of just the the animal skin slung over one shoulder i think that's right there in your face and uh yeah he's just a, he's a primal beast yeah yeah that's what it is all right so they they leave they they walk off screen ben and then we cut to you know the the camera pans and it flashes the graphic on the screen. I did not realize, Ben. I, you know, until re- rewatching this, we are at Market Square Arena tonight in Indianapolis. Mm. And immediately, man, I am just taken back. Yeah, uh, some this flashbacks. This is the scene of the crime for us, Ben. Ghost uh, Market Square Arena, home of Jeff Scalf, who's the great nephew of John Dillinger. Uh, this is this is the home of the Indiana Pacers, uh, the, the the scene of the crime where the Knicks and the Pacers had all these 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 uh, heated playoff contests. So this is a very personal uh, place for Ben and I. Uh, you know, I don't go out there to start start trouble or anything like that. But you know, in this game, everyone talks. You know, it's just not me. I mean, Derek Harper was talking just as much as I was, but because people think I'm known for it, and I'm the one who gets all the headlines for it. So. Um, you know, we're just out there. I think I call it psychological warfare. Everyone's trying to get an edge. So uh, everyone knows how to play this game physically, but I think mentally is what, what gets people over the edge. Well, I call it, Ben, I call it psychological warfare. Interesting terminology. Interesting terminology, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, so some might call it psychological warfare. Others might call it torture. Torture. Um, which, of course, as we have noted, is a war crime. It's almost been as though this is a, what, institutionalized practice within the Indiana Pacers franchise, within the organization. It's something maybe they talk about at the first day of boot camp. Yeah, you brought up, uh, uh, you brought up serial killers earlier, Ghost, and of course we can't... Uh, omit uh, Larry Brown um, who is uh, you know one of the most infamous uh, serial killers you know we don't know what his body count is uh, exactly was the head coach of the Indiana Pacers yeah, former... but yes there is speculation that he may have also well, killed people uh, uh, I'm sure you guys have uh, your viewers know all about this but real quick what, what yeah. the hell is the deal with this Larry Brown character Larry Brown was the head coach of the Indiana Pacers during the 90s and he was just a little bit off ghost there was just something a little bit 
I don't know, Ben. How would you describe him? A little unnerving. Uh, yeah, bone little... chilling. Yeah, extremely deeply unsettling. Um, Visually or his like countenance. Everything his... visually, the way he spoke, um, his his dress, his, his stature, everything about him. Just it was you know clear as day. Yeah, just the way he would like killer. take his he would take his eyeglasses off and just sort of like nibble on like yeah. the the leg of his eyeglasses, and it was just very unsettling in the way yeah, that was eyeglass like, well, he, he would prefer that so... to be a human bone. Yeah, yeah, you could tell his. Yeah, from the from the cut of his wardrobe that he was often wearing the clothes of his victims uh, afterward. Um, yeah, so that's just... the other thing. He wore these suits that didn't quite fit him, and it was very obvious to us rewatching these playoff games, Ghost, that he had obviously just murdered someone and and went into their yeah. their closet and wore their clothes. Yeah, I yeah. can see. Um, I'm looking at the NBA hoops uh, card trading card of yeah. him, and just this very yes. ill-fitting suit. Poor. Yes. Wow. Yeah, yes. yeah. All so right, clearly, so yeah, Market, introduced... Market Square is a is a uh, a site of, of many atrocities over the years. Yes, Andre's introduced as we mentioned. Uh, Andre, the Giants' manager tonight, is the million dollar man who himself would also become one of the biggest stars in the business as a wrestler. Ben, I was curious as as our resident WWF historian and expert, can you give us a sense of like? Was this commonplace uh, to have someone like this Moonlight as a manager, especially a wrestler this prominent, like the Million Dollar Man? Or was this sort of a very special sort of situation where the Million Dollar Man just had so much money that he could just sort of buy the influence here? Uh, definitely a special situation. You know, most managers, I mean, it's always like, you know, like a one-off, you know, weird temporary, uh, you know, setup where a wrestler would be managing another wrestler. Cause of course, um, you know, even, even before this point, you know, million dollar man was a, was a singles wrestler in his own right. Um, right. But it was only because successful. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, but it was only because of his millions of dollars that he was able to, you know, buy the services of Andre and, and, and serve as his manager and, and corner man. Um, while of course also having a corner man of his own in the, uh, form of Virgil. Um, right. So, yeah. So it's less like a Very manager, rare. more just more like he was like his owner or like his jockey or something. Pretty much his <laughs> owner. Yeah. Kind yeah. of like, I yeah. mean, you okay. know, he would sort of act as a coach and a corner man and, you know, do stuff similar to a manager. But, you know, he wasn't technically allowed to wrestle. It's, it wasn't a one on two. You know, it wasn't a right. handicap match. So he I don't was. Know why? But I'm thinking of like Jerry Jones, the owner of the Cowboys. It's like sure. him like screaming at the quarterback. It's like he's not really the coach, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. he just sort of like, you know gives advice that you know maybe no one wants to hear yeah and as we'll see he does you know he does get a little involved in the uh in the action andre is introduced enters the ring and then uh we cut back to mean gene with hulk hogan in the locker room well apparently hulk hogan andre the giant has millions of reasons to become the world wrestling federation heavyweight champion well with all the controversy mean gene from wrestlemania 3 i've tried to keep an open mind man but i the film a thousand and one times. Andre the Giant, you only had me down for a two count. I slammed you and beat you one, two, three, right in the middle. Uh, Hoekster says that he has reviewed tape of the original match, Ghost, and he insists it was nothing more than a two count against Andre. 
Maybe the players, the bunnies, and the trainer is small change to you, multi-million dollar man. But I've invested my three assets wisely in a lifelong profit-sharing plan with all my little holsters, brother. Virgil, you watch the referee. That's cool. All my Hulkamaniacs are going to be watching you, multi-million dollar man. Then Andre the Giant, one-on-one, -on -one, with the whole world watching, I'm going to prove to you I can beat you, and Hulkamania will live Ben Hogan consistently refers to DiBiase. I don't know if you caught this. He consistently refers to him as the multi-million dollar man. Yeah, and I was definitely going to ask you guys. Is this, a, is this a dig or is he just, does he just have the name wrong? Uh, and then <laughs> Ghost, we are back to talking economics yeah. once again. Uh, Hogan says he has invested in a in a lifelong profit sharing plan with his Hulkamaniacs. Yeah. Hogan promises his army of little Hulkamaniacs will be watching the refs very closely for any improprieties. Give me some thoughts here, Ghost Ben. The so the lifelong profit sharing plan with the Hulkamaniacs uh, it just brings it back to these financial analogies. One thing we missed uh, a little bit earlier um, is when the Hulkster was talking about uh, making the Howard Hughes and Trump references. The greatest investor of all, or the greatest investment of all, the big bank teller in the sky, the Lord. I mean, I don't know if anyone picked up on that, but oh, wow. uh, in the hoaxer's opinion, you know, all these investments pale in comparison to, you know, the big yeah. bank teller in the sky. You got to invest with him in the mm. long run. Mm. But in the uh, more immediate term, yeah, he's talking about the profit sharing plan with the hoaxers and the multi-million dollar man. I think the multi-million dollar man, reference i i don't think it's a fuck up i just think he's just kind of worked up in that that mania and just adding words here and there it, it just sounds good and just a little embellishment i i don't think that i caught my ear most definitely but i i couldn't really divine anything from it yeah he does it repeatedly in in multiple promos where he refers to him as the multi-million dollar man and i, I kept thinking to myself like isn't that like only burnishing his reputation like yeah. isn't that like yeah it seems but i wonder if it is actually intentional because he's you know he's basically uh taking you know dibiase's script and 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 playing that that class card um but right back at him and saying you know, you're not just a million dollar man. You're a multi million. You're you're a a filthy. You know, you're you have obscene wealth that you would never, <laughs> you know, be able to 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 spend in a lifetime. And he's actually using it, I think, as a as a dig against him. Um, you know, it's like he he knows he can't win the game by saying like, oh, this guy's actually a you know a fake rich guy. Um, you know, I'm not going to try to claim that he's uh you know poor. But so instead, he kind of doubles down on saying like, no, 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 he's he's evil because of just how rich he is. Um, so I sort of think that he's he's sort of like leaning, leaning into it and trying to to, uh, you know, fight fire with fire a little bit um, by uh, by by claiming some sort of, a, you know, a moral superiority um, because of uh, of just how uh, obscenely rich um, DiBiase is. That was my theory. Um, but yeah, it is, it, it seems very intentional because he does it multiple times. And, um, so I, I am freeze framed right now on, on this promo with Mean Gene and Hogan. And let's talk about this guys. I mean, for starters, I, I will say, let's just get this out of the way. I think he looks more delicious than ever. Yeah. Um, he's, his skin's he, looking, his casing is very tight here. His case, his casing is really plump. 
Uh, he's absolutely uh, filled uh, to the brim with his hot dog meat, um, and he is slathered. I mean, absolutely slathered ghost in uh, French's mustard here. And if you freeze frame on the correct spot, I swear you can see Mean Gene. He's beginning to drool. He's beginning to slobber a little bit because he's just staring at Hulkster holding, holding the microphone. Hogan is lost in his thought. And, you know, it's something about the, the curtains, the white curtains in the background that makes me think of, like, that that could be Mean Gene's napkin. You know what I mean? He could just devour <laughs> this hot dog real quick, wipe up, wipe wipe his mouth, wipe the corners of his mouth. No one would any know any difference. Um, but, uh, my goodness. So we have Hogan here with the, with the mustard-colored bandana, the matching uh, mustard vest that he's wearing here. Of course, he has his mustard shorts, and then he's got that uh, championship belt across his little hot dog waist. Uh, my goodness, so, Ghost. Uh, so much I'm going feeling on. hungry. I don't know about you. So much going on. Okay, so the belt, <laughs> this is actually the debut. Maybe we can get into this later. It's uh, kind of the debut of the winged eagle belt, first of all, wrapped around that hot dog. That's right. Although I, wow. I believe I read that that this uh, they actually did made a little production flub, and this promo was filmed with the previous belt. The it's referred to as like the Hogan eighty five or the Hogan eighty six or something like that. This was actually not the Winged Eagle. They only presented that at the conclusion of the match. Um, You're one hundred percent correct. Yeah, my mistake on that one. Yeah, but it's it's it was totally a production a continuity error. Um, because yeah, I mean normally also like they you know when a new belt is is on uh, you know unveiled they uh, have a big announcement or some kind of a, you know a show for it and they didn't do that at all they just like very nonchalantly like just brought out a new belt and and gave it to the winner kind of slid it in there yeah uh, but the 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 ultimate hot dog is looking um, ready to go here like it kind of reminds me like. Okay, he's so disconcerted. The look is very disconcerting. Um, just the deep bronze. The bronze is like thicker yeah. than ever. And the whites of his eyes uh, are really just one of the... I try to do that in my artwork if I want to make a creature really unsettling and really like look like it's about to attack and kill you. It's just the sclera, the whites of the eyes. Just make them really contrasty yeah. against the surrounding uh area and that certainly happens here you just see these uh just bulging white eyes against a sea of bronze hot dog flesh yeah this guy is just ready to kill you having watched a lot of hogan promos one thing i've i've noticed is that he one of his incredible skills among many is um his ability to hold the camera's gaze without blinking he blinks extremely wow. rarely and frequently in his wow. in his promos and those eyes, you're right, Ghost, they are absolutely searing into the camera. They are just so bulging yeah. and bug-eyed and crazy that the way they pop out of his orange face. Um, Direct held eye contact is a sign of dominance in, uh, you know, from primeval man to this day. So it's uh, Hulkster really harnesses that and uh, just really goes for it. Um, and, you know, you have to notice he has the uh, the symbol of the greatest uh, bankster in the world, the Lord, hanging around his neck. <laughs> That's that right. prominent gold crucifix on display. Yeah, the white really does pop on his on his hot dog flesh, especially the white bands around his, wa- uh, mm-hmm. uh, around his wrists. 
Um, and then, of course, as you mentioned, the white pupils, it really does pop. Another thing I, I noticed, guys, was just um, that really struck me was how gravelly his voice was. Mm. Um, it really was like very growly, you know? Yeah, he has like perpetual vocal fry. And I don't know how he was able to just maintain that consistently. Um throughout his career it just constantly sounds like he'd been screaming you know at a bar right. uh the night before until like four in the morning um and yet it's just yeah it's just the way he talks like all the time pretty much and absolute showman and i really appreciate that about him but that kind of leads me into something else which is this promotional training video that was aired ben when was that aired in the in the timeline of things uh the weightlifting video Oh yeah, so that was earlier um, in the uh, in the event um, in the first few minutes. I think even before they they showed the first match of the night between Savage and, and Honky Tonk, um, right? They showed this uh, incredible training montage um, where Hogan's in like this like kind of dingy gym, um, and instead of his you know traditional orange and red, he's wearing a black uh, like black tank top and bandana. <laughs> very like uh kind of like dark and badass and it's actually set to um the theme music that would be used by jake the snake roberts which is like this very like kind of um you know menacing kind of like sinister like 80s synth uh theme that just really like paired perfectly with the uh with the images um and it concludes with this like absolutely fucking insane like like kind of yell and laugh as hogan like flexes um and the in bodybuilding that's referred to as the most muscular pose where he is you know hunched over basically bringing his fists together in front of his body while he maniacally just stares into the off screen actually slightly off screen like he's just looking into the darkness screaming yeah 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 really incredible stuff it's incredible but there's a lot it's actually all a big scam this whole video it's just a big hollywood production um these weights they don't add up wow wow (laughs) Talk about a conspiracy theory with Jesse Ventura over here. I love worse. the ghost. This is worse than the moon landing video. If you're into that kind of thing, <laughs> there's there's more content here to uh, pick apart and really debunk wow. uh, than you really would imagine at first glance. So first of all, in the opening shot, you see Hogan in the squat rack. Right, it's in this uh, just bare bones squat rack, three level squat rack, and he's hoisting. What looks to be, no, it's easily discernible as seven plates on each side. So the math is like this is over 700 pounds. (laughs) Okay. I checked the Florida power, you know, the guys from Florida. So apples to apples. I checked the Florida state powerlifting records for this era. This would exceed the powerlifting record for a man in his weight class. Let's call him in the open class over 300. 
This is an absolute scam. It's not even believable for anyone paying attention, okay? So he's hoisting, which anyone could do of his size. He could hoist it off the rack. Fine. Got that. But then they proceed to show him doing these just rapid repetitions with this over 700 pounds. This was the fucking max that would be able to do, okay, at that, at that time. And then they show him – for, and then the reps are terrible. Why wouldn't you – if you're faking it and not showing him yeah. doing the reps – why not show him go ass to grass? He's doing these quarter reps, but it's all fake. It's all bullshit. Wow, wow. The bench press wow. is fake too. It's over 500 pounds. It's not, ha- he's, there's not even a strain on his face. So yeah. what we're witnessing here is um, probably- a total sham. It's, it's, all, it's all a sham, just like uh, Deep well, Yossi's, uh you know, money. Turns out guys, yeah, that's gonna be consistent with the uh, rest of the event tonight. Mm, 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 mm. You can listen to Switch FM. Switch FM. Switch FM. Switch FM. Switch FM. Switch FM.